listening to a Flower Pop production. Hello lovely people, how are you today? I hope you're good. Well, today I'm speaking to the fabulous author, Cathy Bramley. You don't regret the things you do, you regret the things you don't. And I was quite nervous about giving up my agency to write full time, but um, I'm so glad I did it. Cathy writes feel-good romantic fiction, which has lifted the souls of so many, including mine. Cathy is regularly on the best-selling list and her books are sold all over the world. Her books include Ivy Lane, Appleby Farm, A Match Made in Devon, just the titles cheer us up. But before this, she ran her own marketing agency. We talk about how she did this, how she turned the page for her next chapter and how the world's smallest book launch created an enormous career. Cathy is hardworking, thoughtful and so generous with her advice. She's been a huge inspiration to me for a long time now, so I'm absolutely delighted to be able to share her story with you. Hello and welcome to The Next Chapter by Ellie Barker. The idea behind this podcast is that as I start my next chapter from journalist to author, I speak with some incredible people who've already started their next chapters in the hope it might help you with your next chapter, or at the very least, you'll just enjoy the conversation. So here she is, Cathy Bramley. Cathy Bramley, welcome to The Next Chapter. I am just delighted and thrilled to have you with me. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for asking me. It's lovely to meet you too. Oh, wow. Honestly, Cathy, I've been a big fan, but I'm not going to be too gushy. So I'm just going to be very professional and start. So we begin as ever. No, no, no. Ellie, gush, gush away. Okay. Yeah, oh, my don't, don't say that, <laughs> Kathy. I'll be off. I want to get rid of it. No, no, I'm joking. Yeah. But it is really nice. It's really nice to be interviewed by somebody who's read your books and really enjoys them. I mean, you know, most of the time as writers, as you know, we sit there in our solitude, typing away, just hoping that one day somebody will read it. So yeah. it is really nice to oh. to actually, you know, do something face to face where where we can chat books it's great yeah well it will go on to this you're thank you for saying that because because you've inspired me a lot and when it's interesting isn't it you you don't realize you are inspiring people you know you you've never met me before but for a few years now I've been following you and it's it's sort of yeah you don't realize the effect you're having on people which is why it's always important to keep going but we we will come on to this. We will come on to this. So we start as ever with the prologue. Now, I know that you now live in Nottinghamshire in a village. Yeah. So did you grow up in that area? What And what kind of upbringing did you have? Um, I grew up in Birmingham, actually, um, in the south south side of Birmingham. Um, so very, very urban. Um, although I was a very outdoor child, so the, the, our garden we actually, we actually lived on a, um, my parents lived on a street when we had three houses in the same road. We wow. moved from, <laughs> moved from the top to the further down and then back up again. So uh, it was like, you know, people got used to seeing us with this hand cart. We piled all our stuff into and wheeling <laughs> up and down the road to various houses. Yeah. But the back of our house um, is a golf course. And um, the, my brother and I would spend hours and hours and hours on that golf course because obviously illegally because <laughs> you know it's not supposed to play on there because no. it's dangerous yes. um, but um the bit immediately behind our garden was um was called the rough you know there's a rough bit and um there was there was trees there and long grass and we would we would find golf balls there and and you know take them home and 
then sell them to other golfers as they came by. We had dens in the wood. We had, you know, we just had endless games in, in the in the woods on on this golf course. So um, yeah, we were outside all the time. And whereabouts in Birmingham was this? This is King's Heath. Wow. Okay, because I lived Heath. in Birmingham for a while, and I know that. Okay, so that you were, uh, you know, you were urban, but then you had your lovely golf course. That's interesting, isn't it? And yeah, what yeah. what kind of pupil were you at school, Kathy? Did you like English then? No, I didn't like English at all. Um, I was, I was quite naughty. I mean, I, I was a bit, bit clever, so I didn't get caught very often. Um, but I, I just, I didn't enjoy school. I didn't enjoy schools. I, I like, I like primary school, but I didn't enjoy secondary school at all. Um, I don't have many happy memories of school, really. Um, I, I went to an all-girls school. Uh, it was sort of like a big, long building, like semi-detached. So the boys were in one school and we were in the other. Um, and I didn't enjoy it. Mm. Uh, I didn't like English. It was a school where you had to pass exams to get into. Um, and I was always, I passed the exams, but I was never, re I didn't excel. Mm. And so I was always sort of middle. So I never did well at anything. And I really, I'm the sort of person that needs to do well at something just, just mm. every so often. Mm. And I didn't really, I was always average. Um, and I felt average in that mm. school. Um, but I loved languages, so I, I, I still love languages. So I did, um, for A-levels, I did French and German and maths, wow. bizarrely. Wow. Um, and uh, so I, I, loved, I loved learning languages. But funnily enough, the, I learned most when I went to those countries and did exchanges and things like that. So I could have probably skipped A-levels and, <laughs> yeah. and just gone on holiday yeah. and then come back and sat the exam. So um, yeah. So, yeah, I love languages. So was it a grammar school that you went to? Yeah, mm. it was. Mm. I went to a grammar school and that what you're, it's, I mean, mine was a mixed school, but I do know that feeling where you just, you're just sort of middle or, and you're just kind of just so anonymous. You become, and you, mm. and this is what we talk about this quite a lot now. So much is, is put on our children. I know, you know, we'll come on to talk about it. You've got two daughters, they're in their twenties now, but you must have seen it with, your children that so much pressure is put on school but actually mm -hmm. it's it is believe it or not just a very small chink in the much bigger picture isn't it it doesn't define who you're going to go on to be no that's right yeah mm -hmm. that's right um and so i i loved my languages and then went off to university and did um european business which was essentially business studies with german um and i loved university absolutely loved it I had a great time i just it was so much more so much more freedom um and you didn't feel sort of pitched against one another in the same way as we were at school um and i just loved that i loved the freedom of it um i had a great time had a great social life um and that's when i came to nottingham yeah wow. yeah it was called polytechnic back then it was the nottingham trent polytechnic um, but it's Nottingham Trent University now, but um, oh, yeah. it'll always be Trent Poly to me. Yeah, <laughs> and so you went and you've never left. No, I did leave. I mean, I, when I graduated, I went down to London. I worked in London for a couple of years, but um, but in my first sort of term, although you don't call it terms when you're at work, but that sort of first period of time, first autumn after graduating, um, well, actually, it was Christmas. I came back to Nottingham at Christmas with all my university friends for a bit of a reunion and bumped into somebody in a nightclub and um, married him. <gasps> wow. <that's, laughs> wow. So what, you obviously you knew him. No, 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 no. I didn't know him. You I literally met him. just bumped in. 
bumped into him oh, wow. and I said, I said, my, I can give anybody a fireman's lift, anybody. Um, <laughs> and he said, oh, go on then. And uh, no, actually, I think he said, no, don't, don't give me a fireman's lift. <laughs> but it was too late. I'd already got my head down, chucked, chucked him over my shoulder and I said, oh, yeah, there you go, I sold you. And then um, that was it. Yeah, was we, it? you know, fell in love, got married. Wow. And I moved to not I moved back to Nottingham. I'd only been gone five minutes and I um found myself on my way back. That's it. You literally I'm sure many people have said this, but you literally swept him off his feet. Yeah, I did. Oh yeah. wow. No wonder you write great romance. That's just brilliant. That's just brilliant. <laughs> so so Well, yeah, you say that, Ellie, you say that, but what I didn't know at the time was he just had surgery oh. for peritonitis. Okay. And he'd actually got <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> So my bony shoulder in the, his lower abdomen wasn't really the best thing for for recovery, but no. um, but he was very <laughs> he was very kind and wow. didn't didn't scream too much in pain. So no. that's fine. Well, that's good. I mean, okay then. So also love at first sight. I would say that you put up yeah. with that. Yeah, that surely is yeah. one of your in one of your books. But so so in so how so when was this so your first chapter you worked in marketing and you 18 years and i correct me if i'm wrong but you worked in marketing and you had your own marketing company so did yeah. you set this up then when you'd met your husband and you were back in nottingham yeah so i um i actually i was in my first job post university when i met him um but then i had a couple of other jobs in marketing and then um decided I'd always wanted my own business I'd always wanted to set something up I didn't know what it was going to be I tried a few different ideas I didn't actually set them up but I had I planned a few things um I had this idea for a second-hand maternity business this before eBay um I thought that would be good, that was going to be a really good idea but it didn't come to anything and then eventually I'd started I'd trained to be um an exercise instructor so I used to do exercise classes and personal training and um i set up these classes called apples and pears fitness and there was they i specialized in you know overweight the over two overweight body shapes predominantly of the apple and the pear mm. um and so i set those up and um i did that for a while alongside my marketing jobs and then um i got a job at olympus sport as their one of their marketing managers and um from there i thought well, do you know what i'm gonna i think fitness i think marketing and fitness are, are going to go hand in hand and i i decided to become um, a marketing consultant and set up my own marketing consultancy and my first client was adidas um and i worked for them for a few months and so it just sort of grew from there so um i i, I sort of did anything i liked in real life which is i did exercise classes all the time i thought, I thought i'll do I'll, I'll do marketing for that mm. so that's that's how my agency grew and then one of my clients asked me if i could do their pr um and i of course i said yes and then i thought always say yes and then worry about it afterwards um so that's what i did i um he said will you do it and i said yes and i thought god how do i do that yeah. so then i i just became his marketing and pr consultancy and um it grew from there so your day job as such you 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 had started off in marketing so when you sort of your first job from university so you obviously were drawn to marketing you wanted to do mm. that 
So yeah. then, so when, I mean, forgive me as well, because I should know this, with the difference between marketing and PR, because there is a difference. Um, but so when that, when that gentleman asked you to do that, so what, what did you do and what was different from the job that you were already doing? Uh, so my, as I say, my first client was Adidas and that was a marketing project to um, help Adidas understand the grassroots of what it, you know, of, of marketing to, to actual exercise instructors and um, people that do exercise classes. Um, so marketing and PR is a strand of marketing. Um, so PR is about press relations. It's about getting things in the press. Um, so it's, so marketing might cover marketing, market research, brochures, um, advertising, all those sorts of different, different aspects. But the PR side of it is specifically like trying to get product placement, trying to get reviews, um, photo shoots, which will then be used in magazines and things like that. So it's a, just a different strand of it. Um, but until I uh, had been asked by a client to do it, I'd actually never done it. No, that's amazing. <laughs> so, and then, so did you just slowly then keep building different clients? Did you, did was yeah. it sort of quite an organic thing? Yeah, yeah. Once I'd got Adidas, so that, that was a six-month project. So towards the end of that, I then sort of looked for new new clients to come on board. Um, and over the years, I then um, became the PR agency for a soft furnishings retailer, for restaurants, for shoe brands, for food. I was um, Mary Berry's uh, PR agency for a while for her wow. salad dressings, um, wow. which was lovely. It's my, probably my favourite client, actually. Yeah, um, and a cookery school, although you know, she's probably my favourite client because we're still friends um so so lots of lots of different lovely things really lovely things that is lovely things and so for somebody just i mean this is really fascinating and for somebody who's listening to this obviously we're going to go on to talk about writing but um who is thinking about you know i don't know anything like that to do to set up on their own i know some friends who are sort of they're very good at marketing and they work for companies so how the, just to talk about the nitty gritty, how did you like, so you're, when you say you, you, you know, you, you had Adidas, how did you get these clients? I mean, that initial, I know the gentleman came to you, but how do you go about even approaching someone, if that makes sense? Well, you have to have, you have to have proven experience in, you know, if you want to do the marketing for Adidas, you've got to have proven experience in marketing for sports brands. And, and I was um, a marketing manager for um, a sports retailer. So I had all those contacts. And so, you know, in that particular instance, I, I didn't know the people within Adidas who were looking to do some more work in the field of women's fitness. Mm. Um, and so I just approached them and said, this is what I can do for you. Would you be interested in a marketing project to do X, Y, and Z? And that's pretty much how I went about winning new business was to just approach companies that I really wanted to work for that I felt I could actually do something for, you know, mm. sort of help that I could mm. actually make an impact. That's, uh, that's, so. Yeah, but that's amazing. That's really brave, though, to do something like that, To I think, to leave a job and even to be able. And how I mean, how easy did you find this or difficult, Cathy, like to even set your own fees and say this is, you know, it's just things like that. How did you how did you do that um i i just i think i worked with agencies um when i was at my various jobs um i was at a toy company before i was at olympus sport so we had we had agencies that would work for us whether it be design agencies or pr or marketing so i knew roughly what a daily rate would be i knew you know what it would what buying outside services in would cost a business 
And so then I, I pitched myself below that because obviously I was new and I was, I had very little overhead really. Mm. So um, you sort of just, you sort of suck it and see really. Mm. Um, and decide what you're prepared for your daily rate because it was a daily rate at the time. Mm. Um, you know, this is my daily rate. I can do so many days a month. You know, so it's, it's, sort of, it's very organic. Mm. And did you have at this stage? Did you have your daughters? No, okay. I didn't. Not to start with. So I set up my business in 1995, um, and Phoebe was born in 1999. Okay. Oh, that's good. So then, were you able to work it around your daughters as well? Um, it was hard to start with. It was really hard, particularly with Phoebe. Um, because I had less staff, I had fewer staff, I should say, at that point. But when I, by the time Isabel came along, I had, I had a, the business was bigger, I had more, had more help. Mm. Um, and sort of internet was changing then as well. And um, I could do more work from home. Um, so, so it all, you know, it sort of, it grew organically. It wasn't easy. No. It wasn't easy running a business and being a mum to two little children. Mm. And did your yeah. husband presumably he had, he had a full time job as well? Yeah, he did. Yeah, and he he was travelling quite a lot in those early years as well because he was he would be doing a lot of work in Sri Lanka. I remember remember him being in Sri Lanka um, quite a lot, and I remember thinking, I think I might actually be pregnant again, oh. and doing and him being in Sri Lanka and me taking a pregnancy test in Sainsbury's toilets. <laughs> and I was pregnant with the second oh. and phoning him, trying to get a line to, out to Sri Lanka. You oh. know. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Guess what? We're having another baby. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, so those were uh, tricky times. Yes. I remember those. Oh, remember same, that. Same toilets. What does he do? Or what, did, what was he doing at the time? Um, well, at the time, he was building a textiles factory. Um, uh, yeah. So I totally different. He was building a textiles factory in yeah. Sri Lanka. Wow. Don't ask me the details. No, that's it's okay. It's good. I apologise to ask all these questions. It's always good. We just like to, and for um, our listeners, it's always good to have the full picture because then you can kind of understand things just that yeah. little bit more. It's amazing. So, so you carried on. So, how many people did you have working with you at the, at the most? How did much? Did it I think it was about seven. Wow. That's the, my busiest time. Um, but it was sort of. It's funny how these things happen, you know, like you get some new business, so then you take on a new person um, and then you lose a, 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 an account for whatever reason. And then you think, well, now I've got this staff, so I've got to now take on some more business. And then you take on some more staff and it sort of keeps going. And then and the, the bigger you get, the more sort of removed I was from actually doing the marketing and PR because I was then managing a team and, mm. you know, you have to do all the policy staff policies for this and you know hr stuff and payroll and um and i sort of it, eventually i got to the point where i was this isn't what i want to be doing anymore this isn't as creative as it was when i started out you know running a business is very different from from being the business mm -hmm. you know um so i i sort of began I, I began to realize that i wanted to go to scale it back and and to find a, and also I, you know it was hard work work with them my husband had a big job my job was quite big and the two girls you know the older they got um actually needed me more mm -hmm. because when they're babies you can put them in nursery from the crack of dawn till you know six o'clock 
Um, but when they go to school and they've got some holidays all the time and you know so it was I wanted to gradually I I, need, I knew I needed to get myself into a position into a place where I could actually be a bit more flexible mm. um, spend more time working from home and you know try and juggle mm. family life you know well even at my work-life balance really I think yeah did you at this stage did you have your own premises for your marketing business or you yeah we I did that quite early on mm. um as soon as I had one member of staff um I had offices um uh so yeah we had three sets of offices in the end okay, we wow. moved a couple of times wow, um, okay yeah yeah well I mean that's amazing so you decided you wanted to be more creative so at this stage were you sort of how did you start even writing books and start thinking you would like to write books okay well we built our own house in um uh 20 well we, yeah 2010 2011 and during that time blogging had become quite big and uh as you know lots of clients were interested in having a blog doing blog posts and things like that. And I thought, well, I'm going to learn how to do it so that it's something that we can offer uh, as another um, string to our bow. And uh, I thought, well, we're building this house. I will start a blog about building a house, nearly kicked over my phone then, yeah. um, about building the house. And so I started this blog and I would do a weekly post on on the, on the house build. And, um, and I loved it. I really loved writing it because I'd written loads of things, made press releases and brochure copy and stuff but I'd never written anything for, about me I guess or about us and I really enjoyed writing this um, blog and I kept it going and I you know eventually we moved into the house and the house was built and I didn't have to do the blog anymore uh, and I really missed it and um, so I was looking for something else to sort of fill that gap really and um, I a, a number of things sort of happened at once I went to a blogging a mum mum's Cyber Mums, I think it was called, which is all about mums who blogged. And uh, I thought I'll go along and I'll learn about writing for blogging. And um, I met somebody there, an author actually, uh, who was talking about improving your writing skills. And she'd she was selling a book on how to write short stories. So I, I, I bought it and I read it and I thought I could write some short stories. So I, not, I jotted down on the train home, I jotted down some ideas for short stories thought no more of it because I thought actually I don't really like short stories so why would I want to write them and then I, I was in our village phone box uh, our village phone box in Lamley has been converted into a um a, what do you call it it's like a, a books, book exchange yeah. a book exchange so you take a book and um you leave a book and take a book basically and um I was in there and I, I put picked up a book which was um by Jenny Colgan and I read this book and loved it. And I and the feeling that I got after it was just this lovely, warm, uplifting, oh, I just couldn't let go of the characters, really loved it. Mm -hmm. But that's what I want to do. I want to I want to recreate the feeling that I've got now for somebody else. Mm -hmm. That's what I'd love to do. And so that sort of started me off in thinking about how I could write a book could I write a book you know and um that 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 was the start that was amazing. the start of it that's amazing uh, and because so many people do think that but you actually did it so obviously you, you still had your marketing business at this stage so did mm. you just did you just start writing got up early and started writing before the family woke up amazing uh, and just just gradually you know over time it builds you know 
you've just got to keep going and that's the that's the thing a lot of people ask about you know how do you write a book and you, you literally have to sit down and you have to write your book and you know there's no shortcuts it's, it takes a long time yeah and you have to invest in it and you have to believe that it's worth it as well and not make excuses um or, or not feel guilty for actually sitting down and writing which i think as you when you the right at the beginning you know your first book you do feel a bit like mm. i mean i felt such a fraud i didn't tell anyone i'd written the book until i'd actually written finished writing it mm. so i just thought people are going to laugh and think you know why i thought my best friends would laugh at me i don't know of course they didn't but yeah. um i eventually said to my friend oh actually i've written a book and she went i knew you were up to something <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were up to something yeah. uh, and that uh, she was right I was yeah but I, I get I totally get that I was the same because I also just felt so stupid because I was thinking why do I think I am any I'm able to write a book when there are so many amazing writers <laughs> that's exactly what I'm wondering why do I think I'm able to write a book you know? yeah well, you can. who am I to think that yeah you know that when I was writing doing my writing I was thinking I was reading your books thinking who do I think I am that I can write like Kathy Bramley so oh, <laughs> there you go it's all coming out it's all coming out Kathy so um did you do anything did you did you you didn't do any writing courses you didn't listen to you know did you read books about writing novels you just literally put the words down I bought a book which do you remember the dummies guide series yes yes um, I bought a dummies guide I think it's called A Dummy's Guide to Writing a Book, a Novel and Getting It Published. Okay. I bought that um, and I started reading that. But it's, it all looked very difficult. Um, I thought this is actually, writing book is really difficult. And if I read the whole of this book, I'll never have the guts to actually give it a go. So I put it to one side and I started writing. Um, and it was, you know, it was awful. What I was writing was awful. It, my, the idea I had for the story was awful i got to the point where I, even i didn't want to read what i've written for <laughs> I know um, so i sort of st i thought right okay that's not working and i stopped writing what i was writing i had no title for it it was just about some bones in a garden and um and i stopped and eventually i had this idea for something else and and at the time as i say we just finished writing building our own house and i thought why don't i write something about building a house or inheriting a house um and so I thought, you know they say stick to what you know so i sort of took the sort of tiny bit of the fact that we'd my husband had inherited this bungalow um and built a house i, I took that and expanded that into a completely different story it was, you know it's, it's not really based on um on our experiences but i knew a lot about the building of a house at that point so and working with architects so I incorporated that into it and once I got that idea it, it went a lot smoother mm. so that's how I started I so it really writing that first book was my education in how to write a book yeah and how long did that take you to finish that book um it took me quite a long time because I hand wrote it in a series of notebooks and then when I came to type it up I couldn't read my writing well, yeah. <laughs> so note to self never hand write a book again yeah. um so I, and the good thing was I was editing as I was going along. And then once I got to the end, um, I, I thought, this is, God, this is the best book ever written, yeah. you know. And I was going to um, a festival of writing in York for the first time that September. I can't remember when I actually started. It was probably about six months previously because I was working full time as well. So I went to this, I printed it out, the full manuscript. 
I don't know why, but I printed it all out and I took it to this festival where I knew I'd be meeting um, agents and, oh, you know, editors so and everything. Great. I thought, is one copy going to be enough? Because, you know, everyone's probably going to want this. But anyway, I didn't have time to print it out again. So I just took this one copy. And on the first Friday afternoon, so I printed it Friday morning, drove to York. And on Friday afternoon, I went into this session on self-editing your novel. And she started off by, on the whiteboard, putting the main things that new writers do wrong. And literally, she wrote everything I'd done. I thought, oh, God. Anyway, the, the book never came out of my bag. <laughs> I went back home and rewrote it. And eventually I submitted it to um, a writing critique um, service. And she then came back and said, she gave me 42 pages, I think oh. it was, of reasons why my book was absolutely terrible. Oh. Um, and she was right. And she said, if you decide to, uh, to, you still want to progress with this novel, I suggest you completely rewrite it. So again, oh. so I rewrote it again, oh, no. um, and so yeah. So this, this was its third, third edition at this point, and I thought, the, oh, she was so right. She was so right, and what I and that that was conditional love, um, which I then went on to self-publish. But it took me a long time to get. So I, to answer your question, I think it was about two years, but caught up in that was the fact that I was learning you know, mm. about three-act structure and points of view and, you know, how to keep the story moving forward, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So, and, and, and cutting out all the all the jokes I put in there, which made myself laugh, which were, but were completely irrelevant to the to the plot, so. Well, I think those jokes sound good. One day you have to put them back in. But that's, <laughs> that's, um, that's amazing. And also, I mean, I do understand, I, I do have an understanding of it. And that is so hard to keep coming back and doing it you know but you did it and look at that like you just say there you knew you could easily argue but you listened and so so what made you what made you decide to self-publish because because I think it's again you went to a festival you you started to understand about the agent submitting process didn't you so what mm -hmm. can you explain why you went down the self-publishing route because you'd learn quite early on that getting an agent is really hard mm -hmm. and that's uh hundreds and hundreds of debut authors send their um, manuscripts into to agents and so they have a lot to do to sift through and try and find you know talent and, and authors that they want to work with uh, and I'd already got marketing experience so I thought actually I've done the work on the book now I'm, I'm happy with the book that I've written and I'm happy that it's in the genre I want and it's the tone that I want um, so I was really happy with that but I thought I'm not going to go through writing writing loads of um, loads of letters to people um, and hope that I one day get picked up so I'm going to ignore that I'm going to self-publish it and that but I had my second book ready so my plan was self-publish my first one do really well yeah and then I'd be I'd have agents knocking at my door for my second book yeah I didn't have a plan B I like that um, plan A that's a great plan so that was my that was my plan and um, luckily bizarrely the self-published book did really well wow. and got to number 102 in the kindle charts um, at which point it um it was noticed by an editor at transworld um and she contacted me and said i really like your book um i've got an idea for something for a, for serializing a novel would you be interested in writing a novel that we could serialize so i said yes oh. so and that was that was the next phase 
Um, so, well, so that's what happened next. Before we go on, to, I mean, that's just amazing. And, what, and well done you, because that's just, that is the dream. It is the dream. But going back, so you, when you say, so you had um, you had your first book. So you said that took about two years. So, so how long did it take for you to write the second book before you published your first book? Um, oh, gosh. Well, it was um, NaNoWriMo, you know, the novel writing yes. month. Um, so I thought I'd challenge myself to write as much as I could. I'd done it. I challenged myself to write as much as I could in the month of November, which I, I so I wrote about, I think it was about 40,000 words in that month. So I didn't quite do the 50, but I was quite happy with what I, what I'd written. Um, and uh, so then I just sort of finished it gradually over the next few months so that one was a lot quicker mm-hmm. so so but what you did which was amazing and I love this so what you were saying earlier your telephone box with the book exchange you um had your book launch there didn't you as like the world's was it the world's smallest book world's launch? smallest book launch yeah <laughs> and I, I contacted as I thought well you know I'm self-publishing this I haven't got a big budget for champagne and you know getting I'm not going to get press there because everybody writes books all the time that's there's nothing new in that so I thought what would what would be interesting is if I could make it the world's smallest book launch and um so I asked the uh, parish council if I could use the phone box took everybody else's books out and then filled it with mine and then um, I invited the mayor to come and cut the ribbon and I also contacted Guinness World Records um to see if they were you know if they could they could make it a world record for me but they said they said no <laughs> Damn them. Um, they wouldn't come i wanted somebody there with a tape measure but nobody came um and we had this fantastic launch you know and I, the mayor's office phoned me on the the day before the launch and said we've been looking at the map and we can't find a bookshop where in the postcode where you said to to come and of course i hadn't told them that i just wasn't having the launch in a bookshop i was having it in a phone box I said, oh, don't worry, you just, just follow the signs and the bunting, you'll be fine, you'll, you'll see us. <laughs> so this mayor's car, you know, drives up, this big silver car drives up slowly and out gets the mayor and, his, and the mayor's wife with the, uh, with the chains on and everything. And there's me, there's me and my friends by the phone box. <laughs> That's brilliant though. And did you, so did that go into like your local paper? Yeah, it did. It did. And uh, several times, actually, they kept revisiting it over the years. Did they really? That's just amazing. Again, Mm. so much self-belief, but also, I suppose, the knowledge. Did you have your business still at this stage? Did you still have your marketing business? Yeah, I did. Did you have, from your blog and that, did you have a big following on social media or did you have a mailing list or did you do adverts? What did you do? I I did quite a few, all different things. I used my Facebook page. uh, I I worked on Twitter to build up a following of a thousand people I wanted, I think, before Mm -hmm. I launched the book. Um, I had a blog tour, a book blog tour. um, So I paid to have someone organise that for me. So lots of bloggers would feature the book um, around that time. I did all sorts of things. There was, I was forever doing something, Mm -hmm. you know, competitions and all sorts, Mm -hmm. um, just to keep, keep the awareness up and keep, um, you know, my profile sort of uh, forefront of people's minds. Well, not forefront, mm. but at least there somewhere. I didn't have a mailing list at all, um, mm. which I know a lot of people swear by. And 
I still don't have a mailing list, actually. You not? You don't? That's interesting. No. That is interesting. And so going back, so then the editor, I mean, that just that's just fantastic. So the editor got in touch. But also, have I got this right, that there was one agent that you, so you had sort of, you'd obviously done your research of the different agents. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And there was one so, agent you wanted. Yeah, so I contacted, once I'd launched my book, um, I'd contacted an agent um, just before Christmas, the 13th of December, I remember. And I sent her off this um, this manuscript, and uh, in fact, I sent her an email. I, I followed the subscription, the submitting uh, submission guidelines on her website, and I sent her the three chapters and a, and a synopsis and a, an introduction letter. And she emailed me straight back and said, "Oh, amazing! I've I've been thinking about contacting you." So oh. I was like, oh, I couldn't believe it. I was so excited. Um, so she said, send me the full book and I'll read it over Christmas and, and get back to you. But before she'd had time to get back to me, I'd already got an offer from this editor. So, wow. so I think by about the 6th or 7th of January, something like that, I'd, I'd ended up with an offer and an agent. So I'd got a, wow. a book deal and a, an agent in, on the same day. So oh it was great. Oh my goodness, Kathy, that yeah. was amazing. I hope you celebrated. I did. I did. Did the mayor come? <laughs> He didn't come, but he kept in touch with me for the next few years, actually, As, you know, always commenting on my Twitter and how many books is it now? And he was lovely, actually. See, that, yeah. goes to, that goes to show a bit like what you were saying earlier, like with your best friends, you know, of course they support you. It is amazing. And this applies to anything, what you do, how supportive people are. They are supportive to people who are willing to have a go and just step mm. across that line. And I think that's... I think that's something that we all miss out on a little bit because it's it's there's so much talk about all the bad side of life, but th this is a really magical side of life, isn't it? Um, mm. So, uh, so moving, so so then you started, um, which again is fascinating, and also this is something I didn't realise, Kathy, until I was researching about you. That I, I I think your latest novel, Merrily Ever After, is your fifteenth novel, but we're yeah. talking about two thousand and fourteen, so eight years. So you're almost doing like at least two two books a year as such. I hadn't realised yeah. how I I thought you'd been going sort of much longer than that. So so that first book, the idea was that you you actually did like a series of novellas, didn't you? Yeah. So it was basically one novel. So the first the first one that I sold to Transworld was one novel called Ivy Lane, but we issued it as e-books in four parts: so spring, summer, autumn, winter, and then the whole book came out as one paperback the following year um but yeah it was uh, so i did ivy lane and appleby farm that year right okay so, so does that mean so that i mean for those listening to write almost like two books a year that is that's pretty speedy i mean most traditional authors at the most are about one book a year i would say mm -hmm. maybe less so did you at this stage did you stop doing your marketing um company and did, were you a full-time writer I did become a, I think when I got my, um, I think in the January, was it January 2014 or January 2015? One of the two. I sat, because at that point I'd contracted my business down and it just, there was me and one other person. And um, so we agreed that we would carry on the marketing agency for six months. So we'd finish in the, Jan the July and she would then take on the remaining clients um uh sort of under her own steam sort of thing mm. so that's what happened so i think it, i think it was 2014 that i became a full-time writer i think okay okay um, and and yeah. then and then did that just sort of carry on as such in that pattern that you were doing you were doing um 
you know, the four part novels. And this is, you were just writing, so you must have been writing a lot. I was writing a lot, yeah. I, I mean, four four part novels. It was just one novel, but we just yeah. issued it. In a, I, I liked I liked writing as if I was writing for TV, like four episodes. Yeah. So you might have a series, um, which each episode has got a little, you know, a little ending. Might be a little cliffhanger or whatever, but a specific ending. But all part of the same, you know, four parts of one of one novel. And so that's how I was writing. And I enjoyed writing that way. I did that for a number of years. Um, it became quite an overcrowded market where a lot of other people started doing the same. Um, so I don't, I haven't written any more. I think the last serial I wrote was My Kind of Happy. Mm, mm. Um, but I've had two novels out since then that haven't been serialised. Mm, that's the, so like the summer that changed us that I read and loved. So that was with Grace and Robin and Katie and so mm -hmm. you wrote that as a novel I was going to say that that because yeah as I read it it didn't seem to be like it was in a serialization but did has that by by writing in that way did that teach you a different way of writing as such it did and people always people often talk about having a soggy middle or a saggy middle in the in a novel you know where you start off really strong and you know what the ending is but it can get a bit wishy-washy in the middle and um, by writing it in four parts, you don't have that because there's always lots and lots of action going on. Um, but when I wrote um, The Summer That Changed Us, because it's from the point of view of three different women, it would have been really hard to do that first part that actually have a, a sort of a natural ending when you've only really just met the characters, you know. Mm. So it didn't make sense to have that as a serial. Um, and now I've sort of stopped doing it altogether. Because actually... When you when you write as a serial, you're doing promotion for every part. Mm. So parts one, two, three and four and then the full novel. So trying to write two books a year and then do all that promotion as well. It was just exhausting. Mm. So I needed to come away from that, really. And now a lot a larger part of my sales are from paperbacks, um, which obviously is just the full novel. So that's where my emphasis is now on the on the on doing full novels and doing the promotion around launches. It must have been quite at the beginning, though, quite a good momentum to have to see the product of your work a bit more often, because that's sometimes part that's one of the from talking to people with the traditional publishing and self-publishing. It can be quite slow traditional publishing. So I suppose at that beginning bit that you would actually see and when you're building up with your readers, that must have been a very good to have yeah. that kind of momentum. I think that was a really good um, sales tactic or marketing tactic actually to to raise your profile it's much easier to raise your profile when you've got new material coming out regularly yeah uh, so that definitely definitely helped i think it definitely helped build a readership mm. um so yeah it was, a, it was a good idea it wasn't my idea well it's a very good idea and but you produced the work and so you were with orion and you're still with orion i was initially with transworld so my first 10 books were with transworld um and now i'm with orion okay um so i've written i've just finished my first draft on my sixth novel for orion right okay and in terms of the marketing now do you and i've heard you say this this is you do appreciate working with publishing companies that have got all the mm -hmm. marketing there because does that take a lot of the pressure off of you presumably yeah i'm still still a lot of work um but it's it's you can you sort of can if you you can do nothing if you want to as the author you can do nothing it's not advisable to do nothing or you can do a lot um you can you find your own way in it and there is times when i can do a lot more and times when i'm 
really heavily involved in writing and I, I can't spend much time on, on marketing. Um, but, you know, having that team there that have always, you know, they know the latest trends, they know what's happening with Amazon, they know, you know, what, what um, offers there are, promotional slots there are in Asda, for example, or Sainsbury's or Tesco. So having that team there, those team of experts, you know, it's, it's so much better than it just being me. Mm. Um, you know, so it's great. And, it's, and you're part of a team then as well. So being self-published self is, can be quite lonely. Be quite isolated, mm. um, but I much prefer being part of a team. Yeah, I'm just. I mean, we will move on, but I mean, it's just so fascinating. And so, I mean, I've seen. I follow you that, like, when you go into your publishers and you, know, you have a glass of champagne and um, hopefully more than one. And um, you know, I see your books. I've seen them in like Waitrose. You see them in supermarkets. You're on the Sunday Times bestseller. You know, Kathy, you are really doing it. When you think back to that you know, when you started out and it wasn't that long ago, did you ever imagine you would be, is that, is this exactly what you wanted? You know, is it, is it what you hoped I, I didn't, for? I mean, I'm delighted. I'm absolutely delighted that it's going well, but I never really expected any of this. I mean, I remember selling with my first book, I'm looking at my sales figures and I'd sold 800 copies and I thought, well, I definitely don't know 800 people. So I must be selling to, to people outside of people that just feel obliged. Yeah. That was quite a, a moment to think I'm actually selling to members of the public that don't know me. Um, so I never really had a plan. Um, but once you achieve one goal, then automatically you set yourself another one. So you keep moving forward. You keep sort of moving the bar as to what you, I remember when I'd written, I think I'd written two books. And I thought, well, I'm not really going to call myself an author until I've written 10 books. Wow. Um, because, you know, that, that, that's not a proper, you know, that's not a career. Yeah. Uh, or you meet people and you say, oh, you're a writer. Yeah, how many books have you written? And um, they assume you're just going to say one or two. And you say, oh, actually, I've just written, I'm just on my 16th. And they're like, oh. oh. I mean, that's amazing. But, and again, to me, in such a short time as well. Do you have a word count each day? Is that how you do it? um at times i do yeah when i'm on the first draft and i've got a certain deadline to hand it into i'll then i've got a, a software at the website that i use um called page pacemaker.press i think it's called and i use that and i put my word count in that i'm, so I'm, tr I'm trying to get to 100,000, for example by this certain date and it'll work out how many words i've got to do per day mm. and that's what i try and do um so yeah i do use i do count my words uh when i'm on a deadline but now i'm editing now and obviously word the words are already there what my job now is to polish them and make them as you know make the story as punchy as possible and um and make sure that every character shines mm. so it's not about how many words i do it's about how well how it's, it's fine tuning now mm. and how many drafts do you do um i write a first draft and send it to my editor who will make notes on it and so we'll have a big discussion on how we think we can improve the story which characters you know are there too many secondary characters can we combine them you know should, do we need more do we need to see more of this person on the page um and once that's been done i then go away and, and mull it over for a bit which i've just got to the end of my mulling and i'm starting to to write it now so i'll write that that version my editor will try and uh, send it back with a few more tweaks, but I might, you know, I might try and try to refuse that one. And then it'll go <laughs> up to a copy editor. She'll go through it with a fine tooth comb. And I've had um, one copy editor, Sally Partington, who's 
worked on nearly all my books she's absolutely brilliant and she'll go through and you know check up for timelines and you know inconsistencies and you can't you know if you spell a word like this then it means that and you know yeah. she checks my grammar which is a big job yeah. uh, and then uh she'll send it back to me with a few more changes and then it'll go to um proofreading stage um so that i'll get the page proofs two other people usually get page proofs as well they'll read through it find any errors i'll read through it miss the errors yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then it goes off to be to be set so and that's it that's amazing and i'd imagine so much less now feedback than 42 pages so you've definitely um yeah, yeah you've yeah. definitely come on kathy you have <laughs> yeah yeah that is amazing and just finally before we go on this fascinated me when i heard because i love i love all your titles i just i love all your titles i just think they're lovely but like you get your ideas again from all different places the the one the summer that changed us you said that came was it your husband's school reunion when someone talked about picking up a sea glass but yeah. and is that the case you just literally every you just collecting ideas as you go along yeah and you know things all i'll see something so i saw something in the press yesterday and i thought oh, God, that's a lovely what well, it sort of sparked something so i emailed it to, um, emailed the news story to myself so that i can so that i won't lose it um and that'll sit and percolate now and you know eventually it might come out as a short story or or a book or or nothing maybe but you know you, i'm always i'm always sort of like a sponge soaking up new ideas and do you still do two books a year i have done um i until now so i think this this year there's two books uh i've written two books and there'll be two you know my second book of the year is coming out on the 13th of october but um next year there'll just be one book okay yeah, well, quite right, quite right as well. And and your daughters, Phoebe and Isabel, they don't read your books. No, but they know. They sort of the, the reason they don't read them is a they're not big readers, but also they know the books inside out because I we talk through the plot all the time, mm. and um, they sort of get a bit a bit bored actually reading it because they know the story. So there's no there's no surprises. Mm. Um, so yeah, they I tell them the stories all the time. And they help and they'll say what about this what about that that's so they uh they're they're great they have an input into the books mm, that's but so uh, but no they haven't read that i keep saying to you know i'm one day you know all this will be yours you need to start reading them yeah but then i'm <laughs> sure they will but how what a lovely thing to do though as a family what a lovely thing so to move on to be continued what would you like to do next kathy what what are your plans for the future um well, more of the same really i've got loads of ideas for future books so i want to keep writing um and i'd like to see i mean i've got a dream of seeing one of my books being made into a you know, film or a tv series so i want to learn more about that about the process of that and what what makes a good what what make what turns a book into a tv show or film you know what what elements are, the, are scouts looking for so i want to sort of do investigate that a little bit more mm. um and yeah and and various countries as well i've got some of my books are translated into languages but there are certain countries i'm not in yet so france and italy um other parts of the world I, that that's my goal really to see my books translated into more languages mm, how amazing i'm sure you will and travel hopefully travel to all those places as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so your acknowledgements who would you like to thank who um has helped you along the way well I've got lots of people who've helped me on the way, actually. But I mean, the f that first person, that first editor, 
that um, contacted me out of the blue and said she'd read Conditional Love and would I be interested, Harriet Gorton. Harriet Gorton really is the person that's sort of set me on to the on the path that I'm on now um, she's a great friend as well and she's the publisher of Viking now so she publishes Richard Osman mm, and wow. Emily Henry wow um, so yeah left me behind she no. has no, she, she hasn't really no of she hasn't uh, she really she, she was the first person that really made me gave me confidence in my work um, because she contacted me and said she'd like to work with me and I was like wow of all the people she could have contacted Mm. Um, well, I say that. I mean, she could have had a long list, and I was the last one. Who knows? Yeah. But um, at the time, at the time, it felt great. Oh, so God. she's definitely helped me. Um, I have an editor, a, a different editor now, Sheila Crowley, who's absolutely amazing and is really gifted. She's given me confidence as well, um, and is a great supporter of mine. And and then my writing friends. You know, I, I go, I do quite a lot of writing retreats uh, or or trips where I go away just to write. Um, Isabel Broom, who's another author, she writes escapist fiction, and Kirsty Greenwood. I mean, this last, this year, they've been invaluable to me. We've been doing lots of um, speed writing, little sprints where we give our, you know, put a timer on, 20 minutes right away and then come back. So they've got me through this year, which has been a bit of a tough year, to be honest, but, um, but they've got me through that. So, yeah, so they're my acknowledgements. Oh, amazing. How lovely. How lovely. Do you think if that editor hadn't got in touch with you, would you have carried on self-publishing? No. Do you think you'd have stopped? Never planned. It was never planned. Because that's um, that agent, I think, um, that I'd sent my second book to, I think she would have, we'd have ended up working together anyway. Mm. And, um, you know, she'd have pitched, she'd have pitched uh, some new book ideas. So um, I, I think I would have, that was always my my goal to do that. And, and self-publishing is great. And it's, you know, you do retain a lot of self-control. I mean, you do retain a lot of control over your books <laughs> and your publishing, but I'm not really interested in that. I'd rather work with a team that I trust and um, and use use the experts around me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So finally, Kathy, finally, I'm so um, appreciative of the time you've spent. Your tips and advice. So starting off in the book world, we'll start off in the book world. You know, like, you know, I'm still, you know, I'm sort of very early on and and doing exactly everything you say, like contacting agents. And it is very difficult. It, it really, really is. And knowing the right thing to do as well. What is your advice to somebody who does want to be an author and is just finding it hard to sort of break in to the publishing world? What would be your advice to them? I think the first thing is to write your book and make that book as good as it can be. Um, have some comps in mind as well. So who, where would your book sit on the shelf? Who would it be by uh, next to? Um, what, other, what, what genre do you see it fitting into? And, and you know, be honest, be realistic about that because the very few people are completely unique. You know, you're going to have some other authors um, who you're going to be similar, you know, you're going to appeal to the same readers. So know, know who you want to be, know where you want to sit in the market. Um, polish your book as much as you can and then contact agents who you know are going to be interested in your, in your type of fiction. Um, and if you get knocked back by them, don't worry about that because your agent's still out there somewhere. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there is a reason. Uh, and sometimes your book can be amazing, but could just come at the wrong time for an agent. So good agents will give some feedback on what, where to go next. So listen to that. Always listen to it. You're, if you're, if you're somebody who's got, you might be an accountant or a teacher or what, you know, whatever you're going into a brand new industry that you know nothing about. So listen to what those people are telling you. 
mm. because they've been in it a while and they know what they're talking about. Mm. So mm. I think listen um, and know your market and and take on board crit criticism and feedback. Mm, like you did thing. like you did when you had all those pages written and you know you mm. did and you, you really really did and so somebody yeah. who is listening to this you know somebody completely away from books but you know you did a next chapter and, and even like with marketing and even that if you've got your own products there will always be a an element of that involved you do ha have to market yourself in some way don't you whatever that is be it that you're going into you know you're pitching to an agent or you're have a product or your a service what would you say to somebody now who is in a maybe sort of in a in a job that they're not particularly loving at all and they know that they could do a bit better than this they could create a world that they would love a lot more than the world that they're living in but they need to earn money and they need to be able to set rates and they need to do all that what would you say to that person I think that, I mean, I know it's a bit of an old cliche, but you don't regret the things you do. You regret the things you don't. And I was quite nervous about giving up my agency to write full time, but um, I'm so glad I did it. And I think have faith in yourself and work hard and put the hours in. And, you know, if it does go wrong, at least you've given it a shot. And I remember when I was at Olympus Sport and I told the one of the directors of the advertising agency we use, I said, I want to set up my own business, but what about if it fails? She said, if it fails, you will, be, you will have shown entrepreneurial spirit and the fact that you've given something a go and you're not afraid to, to, to try something new. And that's going to be um, of interest to employers. So whatever happens, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And it's always good to get out of your comfort zone, mm. always. And do you think most people do appreciate, you know, even if you just ask them for their advice, what to do next, they do appreciate, a, a lot of people do appreciate that, that you are just, like you say, showing some spirit and having a go, that they'll help you. So it's better to ask the worst that they can do is just not reply. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think, you know, there's no, no harm in asking. Well, Cathy Bramley, I asked you to come on this podcast. I'm so pleased I did. And all those days I wrote down thinking, I'll never be as good as Cathy Bramley. But <laughs> I, I am so pleased I've met you. And just thank you for being such a fabulous guest on the next chapter. Oh, gosh. I'm sure you will be every bit, if not better than me. So, gosh, don't worry about that. You see, so lovely and humble too. So what did you think of that? I love that. It's always good to get out of your comfort zone. It really is. Look, if you fancy a lovely read to snuggle up with on the days you do need some comfort, well, Kathy's Christmas book, Merrily Ever After, is out now. And like all her others, it's brilliant and just what you need to get you into the festive mood. Now, you can keep up to date with me and my books at elliebarkerwrites.com and I would so, so love to hear from you. If you could subscribe to this podcast and rate and review it, I would so appreciate it. It may help someone find their next chapter too. I'll be back next week, but in the meantime, go on, have a little step out of that comfort zone. I think you can do it, and Kathy does too. Speak soon. <laughs>